Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, church. My name is Maddie. I'm a covenant member at The Well. I serve in Well Kids, and I'm a part of the Brentwood CG. Today I'll be reading Ezra 6, 13 through 22. Then, according to the words sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shether, Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai to the prophet, the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they sent the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, all of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all and returned all the returned exiles for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone, everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. All right, beloved, how are we? Good. Good to be here with you all this morning. God is good. Nope. We could do better than that. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Hey, I came from a black preaching conference this week, so I might be a little bit more full on y'all today, okay? Uh, I won't go all the way to whooping and hollering, but I may be a little bit under the influence. So I'm going to need some amens. That was your, there we go. All right. So I might even make you look at your neighbor this sermon. So Chris, if you're ready to play the keys. All right, come on. Um, Hey, as we continue in our series on Ezra, we actually hit a critical, critical point uh, this week in the book. Uh, One of the main things that Israel sought to do in the return from exile was to rebuild the temple of God. And today they finished that process. And so to bring you quickly up to speed in case you haven't been with us, uh, God called Israel through the hand of a foreign king and the financial provision of that king to leave Babylon, to go back to Israel and to rebuild the temple and ultimately to rebuild the city of God. 
We saw in week one that God, uh, when we respond to the promises of God, that you can actually impact future generations. And many people answered that call in the book of Ezra. We saw in week two that it takes the sacrifices of many to really build the kingdom of God, just as that is true today. Like Tori could never, Tyler could never, Marina could never, Excel could never do individually what God is calling us to do collectively. But week three, we saw we're not just blessing the future generations that are to come, but we're actually connecting with and fulfilling the past promises of God. However, whenever you do something for God, opposition is sure to come, and opposition can be confusing. That was week four. But rather than studying the confusion of the snake and trying to figure out his movements, we should keep our eyes on Jesus who never changes, something that these saints lacked. And last week, Yusuf freaking killed it. It was so good. And we saw that whoever's voice you listen to, that's the kingdom that you're going to be building. Whose voice is it that we are listening to? Now, luckily for our ancient brothers and sisters, while in week four, they may have faltered and fallen into opposition's voice, in week five, they began to listen to the voice of God. And as they did that, they began to rebuild the kingdom of God. And good thing they listened to the voice of God, because if they had not, you and I might not be sitting here worshiping that same God today. Because they listened, the temple was built And the initiation of the bringing forth of the Messiah was inaugurated, and that's where we are at today. The finishing of the temple and the inauguration coming of the soon-to-be Messiah. And so in verse 13, what we see here is that with the enemy, Tatnai, what he meant for evil, God turned it for good. When submitted to the plans of God, even being thrown in prison— or stuck at a Red Sea, or hiding in caves, or having spears hurled at you, or gavels built for you, or crosses built for you, that when submitted to God, whatever the enemy meant for evil, God uses it for good for the saving of many. Recognize, therefore, beloved, that in rebuilding, God uses everything to complete his mission. That's the first thing I want us to recognize in the rebuilding process. You see, Tatanai, the voice of the enemy, is forced by the king to help rebuild the house of God with his own money. Like, like whenever you listen to the voice of God over the voice of the enemy, not only are you delivered, like Yusuf talked about last week, and not only are you provided for, but very often the very thing that was threatening you becomes an aid to your deliverance. Anxiety threatening you? Like, Maybe as you submit to God, you learn to hear anxiety's voice voice, and allow that to press you upon your Savior's bosom and find deeper intimacy there. Anxiety can turn into a friend. Uh, 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 accusation, a threat against you? Do you hear the lies of the enemy? Maybe as you're submitted to the voice of God, you're able to hear the partial truths of the accuser's lies, take those truths, submit them in repentance towards God, but then hear the more full truth of your Savior's voice over you, calling you a beloved son or daughter in the King, and maybe that voice will be able to further heal you because you hear the half-truths of accusation and find full truths in Christ, maybe what is meant to harm you will turn into good. Maybe that's not tangible enough. Let me, let me do this. 
I believe that often the things that are out to threaten us towards doing what God has called us to do becomes aids toward the mission of God when we are submitted to God. And so the very sin that you struggle with, as you falter into that sin, as you begin to submit yourself to the voice of God, God comes through, interacts in that very area, brings forth redemption, and then uses you as a witness to others who are struggling with that sin. The very sin that was meant to destroy you now becomes an aid for other people's deliverance even if it's not your own sin. I think about my own life growing up in perpetual poverty, growing up in very extreme physical and emotional and spiritual abuse, growing up in all of this hardship, God begins to take that, redeem that, and as I submit my life to Christ, he brings not only healing for me, but begins to produce shepherding in me that now I am able to heal others. And so what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good for the saving of many. God uses these things. What Satan meant for evil, God uses for good. God can take the very thing that the enemy meant to destroy God's mission, and he ends up destroying the enemy with that very tool. The cross of Christ is our very example. When they thought they had defeated Christ by death, Jesus took death's reins and by death ended up defeating death. And so if you are in Christ, is the same not true for you? And so Tatanai pays for the project. And now all of the elders are inspired by the provision and by the deliverance of God and by the voice of the prophets. Remember last week, the prophets, they got their hands dirty and they helped. And now this week, they're keeping their voice activated to encourage. Once again, God uses everything to complete his mission. It's interesting because I think the prophet's sacrifice actually motivated the elders. Like if these guys are willing to labor, though hearing the voice of God, shouldn't we begin to labor as well? Remember, saints, your faithfulness often leads to the faithfulness of others. This week, we had uh, Amanda and Thomas Trail over for dinner, and as they're preparing to go to the nations, I was just remembering all of this sacrifice that is having to be had by them as they prepare to sell houses and, and sell their cars and sell things and raise support and do all of this just to go to reach a people who may not hear about Christ, and their faithfulness began re-encouraging me to be faithful as well. Your faithfulness means something to those around you because God uses everything for the building up of his kingdom. And listen, it wasn't just their hands, the prophets here, that made the elders work, but their voice too moved them to work. Their encouragement led to them completing a task. And so listen, saints, not only do your hands matter in the building of God, but your voice matters as well. In chapter four, we see the voice of the oppressive adversaries made the work of God stop for 16 years. But this time around, we see that the voice of the truthful exhorters made the work continue for four straight years. I think about that so often in my own life where there are times where there is a temptation to, to be weary, to not labor in the work of building the kingdom of God. And then somebody's voice comes in at the right time and reinvigorates my hands. God uses everything for the building up of his kingdom as we submit to it, y'all. I think about this in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. It says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. 
In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, it says something very, very similar. That gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Your words, like God's words, have the ability to produce life in others. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, James 3 tells us. And so encouraging people towards Christ and towards the mission of God may do significantly more than you would ever realize, saints. It has literally kept my hands to the plow at times. So you need to realize when you feel like you don't have a whole lot to give, realize that something as simple as encouragement, you may be aiding the mission of God way more than you realize because God uses everything when submitted to him to rebuild his kingdom. God uses everything. The evil the enemy meant, the voice of the encourager, the hands of the prophets, the elders, all things God uses to rebuild the kingdom of God. Notice additionally in this verse, the temple is finished because of the will of God, but also because of the Persian king. The same thing happens to us as well. We know that when someone comes to faith, it is only God that will actually draw a person in and yet he uses our obedience to share the gospel as a means by which he activates the faith in another. So all of a sudden, you begin to partner with God. God uses everything to advance the kingdom of God. Do you feel the refrain this morning? Meaning, you have more to offer saints than you tend to realize. Darius had no idea that his actions would lead to the coming Messiah. You and I do have an idea that our actions will lead to an eternal impact. So how much more should our hands and our mouth be at work in building the kingdom of God than a foreign king? He has no idea what he's a part of. You know what you are a part of. The promises are that if you put your hands, there will be an eternal impact. How much more should we be diligent, saints? We should be active in building, knowing that God uses all things as we submit them to him. God uses everything to build the kingdom of God. And so the house was finished through all of these different means, all the things that God was using. And this leads to this joyous, joyous celebration. And it begins this domino effect of beauty. Several things happen that are significant and kind of give us great insight for how we apply this individually, but also how we apply this corporately as well. First of all, joy explodes onto the scene in this book in a place where you didn't see a whole lot of that prior. In fact, what else do we need to recognize in the rebuilding process? Well, I believe it's that the seeds of hope that have often been planted and they even feel like they may die in the soil, blossom into the fruit of joy in your life. Like what was sown in tears, you will reap a harvest of joy. Yes, trouble may last for the night, but joy may come in the morning. Joy is often a byproduct of the seed of hope. Remember, seeds seemingly die before they breathe life. And so what seemed to have never been a a possibility for Israel again becomes a stunning reality. Look at all these references of joy throughout just these few verses that we read. Like, listen, joy is nowhere as apparent as when God reverses the trials of his people. Assuming, according to chapter 5, 
that they started building right when the prophets started prophesying, it took four years to complete this temple project, which is actually kind of a long time if you think about it. Like most of y'all ain't even been in Austin for four years and it feels like a long time, right? In fact, it only took 62 days to rebuild the entire wall around the whole city. So this can feel like a long process. And I believe that sometimes seeing the mission of God play out in your life takes longer than expected. And when that happens, it is easy for us to lose hope. But through the words and the hands of the prophets and others, they begin to see hope fulfilled because they plant the seeds of hope and it produces joy in their life. And so as you plant the seeds of hope, the scripture is really clear what gets produced, joy. But you gotta endure in the process. Might I just encourage you this morning to maybe dare to hope a little bit again? Like, or believe in the promises of God just a little bit again. Like what if hope becomes the soil of your heart that produces the blossoms of joy in your soul that will carry you through this hard terrain called earth? What if hope is that process that produces joy? It's interesting, which I'll touch on this more in a second, but the last time the temple was finished, they gave way more offerings than this time. In fact, this time we see all these offerings that they gave and they offered 712 animals total. But the last time the temple was finished, they offered 142,000 animals. That's a lot of blood. Listen, celebration can look different in different seasons. But to eat the fruit of joy is a good thing when what God is calling you into comes to fruition. I don't think y'all caught that, so I'm gonna drive the car back around and pick y'all up in a minute, okay? Like notice here, they celebrated for an entire week, right? We have such a hard time celebrating in our culture, even though each of us fiends for joy and for pleasure. We desire joy, God then gives us joy, and then we're consumed with the pain of the past or the fear of the future that we don't celebrate the joy that is right in front of us. And that makes sense because opposition has a really sneaky way of poisoning the cup of joy. But we need to learn to celebrate. Can I encourage y'all with what I just said a second ago? Here comes the car again. (laughs) To eat the fruit of joy is a good thing, y'all. To eat the fruit of joy is a good thing. I know that there are seasons of sorrow, but there are also seasons of joy. And when that season comes, I would encourage you to not just be an expert at lamenting. Yes, that too, but also to learn to be an expert at celebration. Like to learn to be an expert at lamenting is a good thing because it'll help you get through the trials of this earth. But to learn to be an expert of joy is an eternal thing because there will be no lament when we are in heaven. And so in joy, you're practicing for the kingdom that is to come even right now. And this will lift your soul in profound ways, saints. Listen, even this week, uh, our dear sister Norelli, who's on staff with us, she said she had a vision last week that she thought was just for her. God told her it was for the church, and I agree with her fully. 
that she had this vision of, of her being in this setting. And you know how cartoons, it like turns the night and then turns the day and then it keeps going back and forth like that. She was seeing that in this vision. And she said that the Lord made really clear to her that, that it seemed like there was like a season of sorrow and then joy and then sorrow and joy. And in the season of night, there was this fear or this uh, 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 hardness of trying to get through. But then when the season of joy came, it was like she was so afraid of what happened at night or felt so bad that she had began to lose hope in the night that she wasn't able to celebrate the joy. And God told her, there's a house that's right there for you. When it's night, go into the house and you'll be safe. When it's light, come outside and experience the joy of God. And I believe that's true for our church as well, saints, that when there are seasons of joy, go outside and experience the goodness of God rejoice, taste the joy of the Lord, celebrate the goodness of God. I want us to be a community that is filled with the joy of the Lord. And what is one of the things that help bring this joy? Well, one of the things is being on mission with God and seeing God's mission complete. There was no joy before this, y'all, and they were building some dope houses. Remember last week? The paneled houses, they have built up their own kingdoms and yet there's no joy on the scene. But now all of a sudden, as they're sacrificing those houses and working for the Lord, though it seems counterintuitive, there's joy all of a sudden. Being on mission with God produces joy. And notice how much this community was stirring and spurring the saints on toward joy in this text. Because often different individuals can see God's hand moving in different ways. And when it's brought together as a part of the collective whole, it makes others rejoice. Y'all following that thread? Okay, let me unravel it a little bit more. One of the biggest things that produces joy in our heart is obedience to God and being on mission with God. We see this here. They obeyed in their sacrifice to build the temple above their own houses, and now they're met with the joy of the Lord, which is their strength, which is the fruit of obedience, is joy, is what this is telling us. But it was other people at different times that began to see this joy that encouraged the others to be able to see God moving as well. And so I believe that the fruit of obedience is joy versus the fruit of disobedience towards God is almost always bringing you temporary happiness followed by waves of guilt and sorrow. This is why God calls for obedience toward his mission, not because he needs something from us, but because he wants something for us, mainly the joy of the Lord. God does not need you to build any kingdom. He can do it all by himself. And if we don't worship, the rocks outside will cry out, God is wanting something for you, saints. And so he's calling you into this, this obedience that you might have joy. Completing the mission of God, building the house of God, it brings joy. It brings joy. And we need to recognize that in our rebuilding process. I'm going to come back to this idea of joy in a second. But the third thing that we see in the finishing of the house of God, what we need to recognize as we build the house of God, is that when we walk in this obedience, we begin to fulfill the very promises of God. And because of this, beautifully redemptive things happen. You are a part of fulfilling the Bible, y'all. What? Like, okay, that must not shock y'all enough. Let's do this, okay? Like, notice, right, they, they take Passover. 
okay? Now it says that they finish in the month of Adar, which is the very last month on the Hebrew calendar. And then just a few weeks later, the first month, they begin to practice this Passover for the first time in 84 years. So you kind of see God's sovereign hand even at the completion of it, just in time, right? God is never late, but it sure as heck feels like it for us sometimes, right? But yet God comes through just in time and now they're able to practice obedience to a command of God for the first time in 84 years. They're able to remember the history that came and point forward to the better Passover lamb and the flesh that we will soon be eating, a better deliverance in Jesus. Notice in this text, it says, as it is written. Uh, Remember what I said a few weeks ago? That was the main emphasis in week one, but then it was nowhere to be found when opposition rolled up. But now all of a sudden, here it is again, because they're reactivated as they're obedient to God to walking into the very promises and commands of God again. Like they're a part of redemptive history. In fact, the word of the Lord came through the prophets and through the book of Moses. This active, present, real life, uh, living and active, sharper than two-edged sword sort of word and the history, and they're combining both of these. Part of the reality of them completing the house of God or the mission of God was that now they're walking directly in the promises and fulfillment of God, the word of God. And beloved, when you walk in obedience, you are walking in the promises of God. And when you are in mission with Jesus, do you know what the result will be? of that, you will get more of Jesus. You will be walking directly in the promises of scripture. And this is truly the only thing that will bring satisfaction to your soul and to the soul of those around you. It's interesting because last time the temple was finished, not only did they offer all these sacrifices, but all of Jerusalem was present. This time it says like nine times in the text, the return exiles that were there Meaning those that stayed in Babylon or stayed too busy building their own house missed out on partaking in the fulfillment of the promises of God. So they missed out on the joy of God, likely with them out. They weren't even aware of this. They didn't even know all of this was happening as they were missing the joy in building the house of God. Beloved, if God calls you to do something, be obedient. Do it. He is not trying to get something from you. He doesn't need it. He's trying to give something to you that you would know the joy of the Lord. And when he calls it, it may feel like four long years of building God's house rather than your house, but I believe that joy is on the back end of that obedience, and that is far better than the comfort that is in the front end of this non-sacrificial disobedience. These saints completed this mission and through this, the past promises proved true. The present joy began to blossom and future hope, the greater mission began to initiate. What a time to be alive. Now everything in me wanted to end with the gospel point here, application and the sermon, go home. Everything, literally. I try to figure out a way around this, okay? But I really can't. Uh, the text constrains me, it handcuffs me a little bit to another reality because while this chapter is primarily about the joy of completing the mission of God, there's a secondary movement happening behind the scenes that actually takes us south and prepares us for next week. A lot of people, when they finish the task, they just sort of stop. 
Uh, when the task is finished, they often fade into the background and usually, slowly but surely, their faith fades to the background with it. And that's unfortunately what happens here. Hiding in the background shadows of this text is an unfortunate reality that because sacrificing for God and being on mission with God is hard, there is a constant danger to be deeply motivated by God in one season and then completely out the picture the next season. Between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there is a 60-year gap. Now that may not seem like anything or even like a bad thing, but when Ezra steps onto the scene, things are a complete mess. Complete mess. In fact, Zerubbabel is the only pseudo-king in the Bible that you don't know how long he lived for. You don't know when he died. This generation just kind of stops existing. And until Ezra comes on the scene, things decline from the finishing of the temple onward. So when mission finishes, you and I cannot fade to the background with it. Until the Lord takes us home, it is right to ask, what's next? How do we keep on going? I believe anything short of this is burying the talents that God has given us, expecting not to be rebuked by the master for burying our talents. It should not have taken 60 years for them to figure out that more work needed to be done. Um, like really practical. Like what if we plant 100 churches in 20 years? Like then what? Do we just stop, right? Or do we ask God what's next? Okay, maybe you're not applying this. Like, like what if you get married? Is that it? Do you stop coming to church? Do you stop seeking Christ because you finally got what you wanted? Or is there a next step towards your growth in Christ and towards Christ's growth in the kingdom through you? Listen, as a pastor of a young church, I see it all the time, right? People are on fire, serving, ready, building house, spouse comes, oh great, all of a sudden we don't see them for six years and it's like, what happens? And what happens is their faith fades with it. So I'm not throwing out empty conviction, I'm telling you, there's no joy in that place, y'all. Yeah, you got what you wanted and it will produce a little bit of comfort, but don't you remember the joy of building the house of God and how it's not present here? Like it's so easy, it's so easy to fade to the background. So your relationship with Christ is restored, but now what? Is that it? You've killed some sin, but isn't there more to be killed? Like you offer forgiveness in a relationship. Is God's mission not towards reconciliation now? We send 100 missionaries into the nations. Do we now no longer have a heart for people who don't know Christ? Like, we need to keep going. What is God calling you into next? As Christians, our callings do not fade, they only expand. They are not completed. And when we, like God, finish doing something that he has called us to create, we rest and we celebrate the joy of that on the seventh day, and then we pick it back up and do it again on the eighth day. And when we don't, our faith sort of just fades and there's a 60 year gap and all of a sudden we're in heaven with not a lot of labor or, or, or fruit to present to our king. So celebrate, stop, pause, Remember God's goodness. Let that joy wash over you. Sacrifice some cows on the grill and enjoy a nice steak with your friends, right? Like sleep, that's a good thing. You finish God's house, cool. Now go build your abode. Okay, but then what? But then what, saints? Israel rebuilt the temple, but then what? 
As a church, listen, there's a lot that we want to do. The will wants to plant 100 churches, like I just said, across the nation. Not just 100 churches in Austin, like 100 churches at other parts in the nation as well. We want to see the, the, the gospel expand through us. We want to make disciples in this church and through this church. In fact, our next series, our men's and women's retreat, classes in the fall, will all be surrounded around discipleship and how we grow as disciples and how we disciple other people better. We want to push back darkness in this city to bring about hope, to bring about healing, to bring about spiritual restoration. We want to do that in this literal building that we are in, as you'll hear and see in the fall. We want to build community. And in fact, not just any community, a diverse community where we can see God from all of these different angles and there's beauty that explodes because of that. We wanna see Christ exalted. We wanna see baptisms and, and people who don't know Jesus to know that there's a God that loves them and that they can enter in relationship with him. And all of these things will take the sacrifices of many, but what if we finish, are we done? No, right? Um, let me get real practical. Many of you have found vibrant community here because of the sacrifices of others in this church who have come before you to lay the foundation of love for one another. But what if you just stopped? You took that beautiful community, you consumed of it, but then you didn't reignite it, you didn't reseed it, you would eat up all the community and leave nothing for the generation ahead of you. We don't stop what God is calling us to do, we continue to move until he calls us home. This is the work of the saints. Do you know why it will erode? Because there's still an enemy out large out there. The second you walk out of here, you will be inundated with the lies from the devil and from your own flesh. We need to keep working. Just because the temple is finished doesn't mean now they don't need to tend to the lampstand. Daily, it needs oil. Daily, you need to be asking God, what are you calling me to do now? And when we do this for each other and for others, we press God into them and receive God for us until he takes us home, y'all. And here's the reality of all of this, all of this, is that it will take the mighty hand of God to be with us to do anything that we just mentioned or for us to even endure in the faith. Hannah Harrington, she's a, a commentator and a biblical scholar. She says this about this text. She says, it is really Yahweh who behind the scenes stirred up Cyrus and the exiles raised up prophets for encouragement, kept a watchful eye over the elders, changed Darius's attitude, and brought the temple project to completion. And this is true. And it's true for us as well. We need the Lord. And the very gospel that these saints were building to, the very promises that we look back on, that will not fade out, that we might continue to endure, the very things that they were preparing for is what you and I now get to eat the fruit of in life. Listen, the seed of hope that they were planting in the rebuilding of the temple was that a Messiah would come. And do you know why you have joy? It's even because of their seed of hope. And as we do it, we do it for the future generations as well. And that's the very thing we see, but it takes the hand of God to be with us. And we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the exaltation of Jesus. Listen, in verse eight, it says that the cost was paid in full. These saints were celebrating the completion of the building that yes, they did labor for, but the cost was paid for somebody else. 
we too celebrate the price that was paid in full as his new temple. You and I are now the temple of God where he dwells. Look, others labored on this temple. They planted and they watered and they sowed the gospel, but only God gives the growth. And the price that was paid that I might have growth was the blood of Jesus. And that is true in your life as well. It was not Israel's finances that paid this in full and it will never be our work that pays it in full either. It will be the blood of Jesus. In fact, the very lamb that was sacrificed in verse 20 is pointing us to the true and to the better lamb of God. You see, Jesus too was sacrificed that we might be made pure. The pure one became filthy and flooded with sin so that we who are filthy and have sin might now be pure in the eyes of God. And this saint should produce joy everlasting, joy eternal. Praise God for our sacrificial lamb that the blood of Jesus that covers the doorpost of my heart so that death might pass me over is the same blood that covers you and this should produce joy saints of Christ, joy everlasting, that you will be in the promises of God. What a grace, because now not only are you in the promises of God, you become the people of God to be used by God, that those promises might be laid out on others. What a grace of God. And so while this isn't the end of the book or the story, because it does kind of turn south here, come back next week, okay, it won't be that much of a downer, all right? It is a good moment, though, to reflect and pause because I do complete a big task here. God has given us as individuals good, good gifts that should be celebrated with joy. And the same is true for us in our church collectively. Like God has kept us, y'all. Like God has kept our church. And while the final mission and vision is not complete, it is vital to celebrate good things when they come. And the temptation can be to be so forward focused that you forget to celebrate the present. Learning the rhythm of celebrating and resting and then building, establishing and reestablishing is the remedy, is the the, the method that we continue in the faith. And so two really easy applications today, y'all. First of all, what can you be joyful about like this week? Like, like that that, that you've completed as a part of the mission of God. Something that God has brought about to completion or has used you to build the kingdom of God. Listen, if you're not involved in kingdom building, I do think that you're missing joy. I'm not coming with empty conviction. I'm saying there's so much more of God to be had. When you're on mission with God, you partner with God and therefore see God more clearly. And so if you're not on mission, get involved in somebody's life or in our church or in some church in the city that you can see God moving. But so many of you are involved. So many of you are laboring to build the kingdom of God. Could you take a Sabbath day of rest and thank God for letting you be involved in people's lives in the first place? Can you celebrate that goodness? Can you image your creator and look at your creation and with joy say, man, that is good. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of this. In fact, application two, we wanna pray for our church and for each other. Pray this very thing over our church. Lord, help me see and remember your goodness and the good gifts that you have given me and produced through me. Pray for remembrance and pray for joy. 
that you would see the goodness of God. There is so much joy to be had in walking in mission with God. There is so much joy in building the kingdom of God. I pray that we would forever be a church that does this together. Amen? Amen. That didn't even make you look at your neighbor this morning. Look at that. Some of y'all exhaled. Please, look at your neighbor and say, there is joy in being on mission with Christ. All the introverts and all the Presbyterians prayed I would never go to a conference like that again. I love you guys so, so much. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. There is indeed joy in being on mission with you and being a part of something that you are calling us into. There is joy, there is joy, there is joy to be had for these sisters and brothers in Christ in here today. And so precious Father, God of grace, God of joy, Holy Spirit of God, this is what you produce. It is a fruit of walking in the Spirit is joy. You are love and then joy. Peace, patience, kindness, yes, but joy is right there. It tails on love. And so God, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would well up joy in these sisters and brothers' hearts, that they would experience the joy of the Lord, that they would know with all of their being that there is joy to be had in Christ, that they would see the beauty of what they've been creating and celebrate with you, God, that we're a part of something unbelievable, something profound. Jesus, I pray for joy, for joy, for joy, for joy, for celebration, for your goodness to sweep over these men and women in this room. God, I pray for those who, maybe that sounds so foreign. Maybe that sounds so distant even. Maybe even, God, for those who walked into this room who may not have relationship with you or unsure of where they are in their walks with you. Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that even right now as we pray, that they would also sense your voice of calling and that they would come in to experience the joy of the Lord. Friends, because, because our God was sacrificed, because he laid down his life, because he exited where there is only eternal joy and entered onto earth where there is so much suffering, you who do indeed suffer because you are on this earth might now partake of the beauty of Christ. And if you believe in him, joy everlasting is coming. And not only is it coming in the future when we die, but we can begin to experience the fringes of it today. And so, Father God, I pray that each of us in this room would walk out, not in some sort of, sort of mindless wandering almost. We just walk on earth for 60 years and then, and then we don't know what's next. I pray that each of us would see that we're a part of something beautiful. Christ, that each of us would enter into intimacy with you and that we would keep our hands to the plow. That we would labor with you that we would see that when we do this, we're a part of fulfilling the promises of God and that that would produce joy. Jesus, give us endurance, give us endurance, give us endurance, Christ. We love you, precious Father. We thank you for your goodness. I pray absurd joy over these brothers and sisters right now. Joy that is hard to be measured 
joy that doesn't even make sense. Joy that as other people are looking at, they're confused by it. How can you, though in this world and suffering, have the joy that you have? I pray joy right now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.